Welcome to the Flint Citadels podcast of our Sunday morning worship service, a weekly production of the Salvation Army Flint Citadel Corps. worship this morning comes from the book of Psalm. One night, excuse me, Psalm 19. I almost had that wrong. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 11. This is a, a psalm that is themed in God's creation, as well as uh, his word revealing his greatness. From David. Psalm 19 starts this way. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, 
like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold. They are much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Shall we pray? Father, we worship you today. We honor you in all that we say and we do. Your very presence with us, Lord, is a greater gift than we could possibly warrant worthy. Lord, we we so much uh, are honored by the presence of the saints that have come before us and the saints that are gracing us with their presence today. Be with us, Lord, as we worship together and help us to be of like mind as we uh, hear the words that have been inspired by you that our shepherd would bring to us this morning and help us to live a righteous life that all might see you in us. Go with us now, Lord, as uh, we journey along in this meeting today that we might uh, walk closer with you with each step. For it's in your name that we ask these things. Amen. Good morning. We're going to sing Fan the Flame in Me. And it's smart to follow God's word. Because if you study the Bible, you'll find that God has promised to send the Holy Spirit to live within us. He sends him when we are saved. But too often we neglect his presence and grieve him by letting the light of Jesus grow dim. As we sing this song, Fan the Flame in Me, Ask God to renew the fire of the spirit that he has placed in you today.
Good morning. I'm going to be talking about <clears throat> finding a gem, but um, I want to say that uh, Harry, Harry Frettenborough was really the gem. Uh, he was a real good friend, and I'm really going to miss him. And, and being out there um, uh, with him doing ushering for all these years, looking over there and not seeing his chair there uh, kind of hurts me. But I know he's with the Lord. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about what happened to me this last uh, two weeks. And I've got it written down so I don't forget some things. Uh, as impossible as it sounds, 15 days ago, I found a 4.68 carat white diamond while digging in Crater of Diamonds State Park near Murfreesboro, Arkansas. It is the largest of 613 diamonds discovered so far this year. It is one of the 40 largest diamonds out of 25,000 discovered there since 1972. Because of its rarity, my life changed drastically as soon as word spread throughout the park and then around the country. I would like to take a few minutes to share some of the details of this extraordinary find and how it has affected my life so far. At 7.50 a.m. on Saturday, September 20th, I wrote a note to Carol which said, in part, I'm going to the mine to find you a big one. Love, Rich. <laughs> Who would have thought that would have been true? At 8.10, after paying my $6.50 entrance fee, I found myself standing on the edge of a 38-acre field trying to determine where and how I should dig. Some people were digging four-foot deep holes, while others were carrying pails of dirt and gravel to sluicing areas to wash them in water. I decided those two methods looked too physically taxing. <laughs> so I decided to surface hunt by digging in places where water had naturally eroded the topsoil. In the fourth location I tried, I found a large water-eroded area which contained numerous little water-cut gullies. I sat down near one about 20 inches wide by 12 inches deep, and I began breaking down the sides with this little trawl, just kind of breaking the sides and, and looking at what came out of the sides. Um, about 15 minutes later, around 11 o'clock, a luminous white crystal, and I know you can't see this, but uh, this is it, <laughs> uh, appeared in the dirt at my feet. It just seemed to appear there. I was startled by its size and, and not ever having seen an uncut diamond, like many of us have never seen one, I wasn't sure what I had found, but when I held it up to the sun, I, it reflected the light in such a uniquely beautiful way, all I could say was, whoa. <laughs> At that point, I was pretty sure I had discovered something very special, but not wanting to get too excited, I put it into a zip-top baggie in my pocket and continued to dig for about 10 minutes or so. Every few minutes, I would pull it out and look at it. <laughs> Finally, I could stand it no longer and decided to slowly make my way to the ranger station to have it verified whether it was, in fact, a diamond. The staff and the ranger were immediately excited and startled to see what appeared to be a very large diamond. The ranger took it into an office area to examine it under a microscope. He then informed me it was indeed a diamond, the largest one found this year. Yes. <laughs> My best Tiger Wood imitation. <laughs> he contacted the park superintendent and then began filling out a form which asked such questions as when and where I found it and how I would describe its size, color, shape. Uh, the park superintendent then arrived and asked if a scratch test had been administered. A, a diamond won't scratch as it is uh, the hardest stone. It is a 10 on a 10-point scale. I thought, God, I know you have a sense of humor, 
but please don't let it scratch. <clears throat> After telling me it was. As a ranger took out a dental tool and tried to scratch it, I held my breath, but it didn't scratch. So I was now 100% sure it was a diamond. Then he asked me an unexpected question. What do you want to name it? He explained that any diamond over two carats usually is named. As he started taking pictures, he waited for my response. I asked if I could wait until I discussed it with my wife. As with all the excitement, I, even, I didn't even have time to call her. She was still at our fifth wheel. When I did call to tell her, I'd found not only a diamond, but a 4.68 carat one. She had a hard time believing me, <laughs> obviously. Um, but when I put the ranger on the phone to confirm my story, she soon realized this was real. I would have loved to have seen her face then. Five minutes later, Carol was in the office with a big smile and her camera. We shared the experience of looking through a microscope at one of God's beautiful creations and laughed at the improbable odds of finding it. As we talked and shared this exciting experience together, it dawned on me what I should name it, Sweet Caroline. It's not only a part of Carol's name, but it has been our song for 39 years of marriage. We danced to it. There it is. We danced to it on our honeymoon. It is the ring on our cell phones to each other. When she calls me, I know it's her calling. When I call her, she knows it's me. And something more ironic, too, the song was sung by Neil Diamond. <laughs> As we explained the significance of the song to the staff, we reminisced about how our marriage had produced three, has produced three great kids who have given us three wonderful grandchildren. And speaking of grandchildren, Shannon and Kevin's son, 16-month-old son Brady, who's here, to, excuse me, who's here today in the, in the nursery, was watching Sesame Street on Friday, September 21st. When it ended, the new TV talk show entitled The Bonnie Hunt Show came on. Carol and I had flown to Los Angeles to tape The Bonnie Hunt Show the day before. So when Sesame Street ended, I was the first person, first guest to come out and talk with Bonnie. Brady, Brady immediately recognized me and started yelling, Gapa, Gapa, as I think he thought I was somewhere near Elmo. <laughs> Brian, my eldest son, told his five-year-old son, Aiden, I was like Indiana Jones, searching for and finding diamonds. I can't do much better with my grandkids than being associated with Indiana Jones and Elmo. <laughs> In addition to the nationally televised Bonnie Hunt show, the story was aired on Channel 5 and 12 locally and numerous other stations around the country. It was on 70 websites and over 30 newspapers, including the Chicago Tribune, Detroit News, and the Flint Journal. With all the publicity and interest in Sweet Caroline, I have learned a few things about life and love. First and foremost is finding this diamond would not have meant much without being able to share the experience with Carol and my family. We have danced and sung Sweet Caroline much more than usual lately. The words in the song that, means, that are so meaningful to us are, good times never seem so good. I believe God led me to this diamond to remind me of what a treasure I have in Carol and the good times we have shared, especially with our family and friends. <clears throat> in our 39 years together, she has helped me to learn to know and love the Lord and the Salvation Army. I thank God for giving me the health, the desire, and the opportunity to find one of his rarest creations. 
but I especially thank the Lord for giving me the wisdom to understand that Carol, my family, my friends, and you, my church family, are the most important diamonds in my life. It is, as it states in Scripture in Matthew 6.21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And finally, the sweet Caroline Diamond is going to remain just as God created her. So we're not going to give her ever cut. We're going to have her mounted but not cut. She's a little rough around the edges, unpolished and uncut. But just like us, God has given her inner beauty, which can be seen if we just take the time to look closely. Thank you. Oh, by the way, if you would like to see Sweet Caroline up close and personal, I'll have her in the um, um, fireplace lounge right after. Thank you. Now you can understand why Rich is so smiley and so happy. But I have to explain to you why Scott is so smiley and happy. Surprise of his mother and father-in-law from Florida are right here, Gary. But Gary and Rosalie, you're one day late for the band league appreciation day. It's good to see you, though. And also some friends from, from Jill, for Jill and Keith from Australia. And then, of course, Harry and Joy Heron from California. So there's, there's a lot of joy in our congregation this morning. In this time of upheaval in our country and around the world, the Salvation Army is uniquely positioned to make a difference for struggling families. It starts with everyone who has developed a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus gives to each of us a gift called the Holy Spirit to instruct and guide us through life. Scripture provides instructions on the use of this special gift. The Apostle Paul states in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14, with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Carefully guard what has been entrusted to you. What does all of this have to do with the Citadel Band's selection this morning? God has given the Salvation Army a vision here in Genesee County, a vision to fight hunger and make a difference in our community. 25th chapter of Matthew, Jesus tells his, his followers a parable that applies to each Christian today. Why? To show how our compassion for others reflects our love for God. Starting at verse 37, we read these words. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the king will tell them, I assure you, when you did, that, did it to the least of these my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. This vision from God is to build a unique choice pantry and food distribution center on Coldwater Road at the Beecher Course site. According to Bill Kerr, president of the Food Bank of Eastern Michigan, when this facility is up and running, the food distribution in Genesee County, listen, will increase 100%. That is awesome when you realize what's going on. In light of this challenge, our annual Thanksgiving concert, the waiting will focus on this fight against hunger. We've been working with potential sponsors to get their support in order to meet costs of producing this concert, allowing everyone to be admitted to the waiting free of charge. This concert will, will be joy and hope. Then, during the program, we will pass the buckets 
to collect funds to help in this fight against hunger, a challenge that is overwhelming thousands of families in Genesee County. We need your help to stand with us and the vision that God is giving to the Salvation Army. In the narthex are our materials to share this vision with family, friends, neighbors, and classmates. You will also find Earl Newtown sustaining fund cards to help support the financial foundation of our concert. Our selection this morning provides a profound commitment to stand up for Jesus. Stand up for Jesus. Well, if you remember last Sunday, we, um, we received word that our brother and friend Harry Frettenborough had, um, had fallen in the night. And when Karen went to pick him up for church, she found him and he was taken to the hospital. Quickly became clear that um, Harry wasn't going to improve. Then on Thursday evening at 7.15, surrounded by his uh, four daughters, Harry left this life to go on to what God had prepared for him. You know, Harry left us having lived a rich life. He left this world with the blessing of his daughters, giving him that blessing to, to go ahead, to go home. Anyone who knew Harry would have known how much he dearly 
loved his wife, Bessie. Even when she was in a nursing home, Harry was there by her side as much as she as he possibly could be. Another example of um, someone who takes their vows seriously and loves their spouse in the good times and the bad times through thick and thin. In recent months, I think um, his longing to be with her um, was growing. He was getting ready to go home. You know, there's much that can be said about the example of Harry's life. We only have a few moments here this morning in this service during this memorial, but I encourage you, if you're able to, tomorrow at uh, 1.30 in the afternoon at Brown Funeral Home on Hill Road to, to come out and share remembrances of Harry, share in the celebration of his life, and uh, just um, be there to encourage the family. Harry was a soldier's soldier, a lifelong salvationist. He knew and loved the army. Every Sunday morning, he would be in back greeting folks with his infectious smile as they came into worship and handing them a program. He took that very seriously. That was his ministry. He believed taking up the offering on Sunday morning was an act of worship and a service to God. Even after Harry lost his leg, he continued to help with that offering. I think he would have crawled up this center aisle if he had to, to, um, to do that because it was an important part of what he was doing for the Lord. At Christmas, he loved to stand kettles at the, um, at the farmer's market. It was a part of, um, of what he did every year, a part of his service. But, you know, those aren't the most important things about Harry. The most important thing about Harry wasn't what he did. It wasn't who he knew, except for one person he knew. He knew Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And we believe that by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ applied to Harry's life, to his sin, that today at this very moment he stands in the In the very presence of the Lord he's loved, the Lord that he's put his trust in. In the army, we call this process being promoted to glory, as you will well know. And today, we celebrate Harry's promotion from this life to life eternal. In a moment, the band is going to play a song promoted to glory, played in honor of our departed brother. But before we play, would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, this morning we come to you with, um, with a joy in our hearts, a, a great happiness for Harry. Lord, we thank you that uh, by faith he believed in you. Lord, that By faith, he confessed his sins to you and sought your forgiveness. And Lord, we believe that uh, when we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Lord, um, we believe today that Harry stands in your presence. And Lord, we are nothing but but happy and joyful for Harry. We we celebrate with him. At the same time, Lord... um, 
We lift up the family, the girls, the extended family. No one can take Harry's place. We miss him, Lord, and we'll continue to miss him. Pray, Lord, that in this time as we we deal with this separation and come to terms with the reality of it, that, Lord, your presence would be very real, that you would grant us comfort, that our faith would grow strong, and, in fact, Lord, that we would become even bolder in our faith, knowing that uh, someday we, too, will make this journey. And, Lord, that someday we'll stand in your presence as well. So, Lord, we just praise you. We give you glory and honor. And we thank you for receiving Harry into your eternal presence. Lord, might each of us be faithful as we wait the time until you call us home. And God, might you be the one who receives the glory for what we've done in this life. For we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand in tribute to Harry.
I'd like to echo my uh, wife's comments about what a wonderful um, Sunday school opening we had this morning. I mean, if you all had been there, we could just skip the message because it was such a, such a wonderful message for all ages. But since you weren't all there, we'll continue on. Um, but I would encourage you, if, if you can be here at uh, 9.30, come on upstairs, enjoy the band, enjoy the um, singing those Sunday school choruses that maybe you've forgotten, um, and just allow the Lord to bless you through the children. Well, if you've been at all uh, tuned in to the news and what's going on, you'll be aware that there's an election uh, soon to happen, right? This year's political campaign has been uh, rather charged, and recently there's been uh, some controversy. Well, there's been a lot of different controversies there. They're good for press. Um, the Republican vice presidential candidate Sarah Palin made a humorous comment at the Republican uh, National Convention when she asked, do you know the difference between a pit bull and a hockey mom? And after a short pause, she said, lipstick. A day or so later, as Barack Obama was sharing, he used the adage that um, if you put Lipstick on a pig, it's still a pig. Well, naturally, in this politically charged atmosphere, that was kind of like checking for a, a gas leak using a match. I mean, things just exploded and accusations started flying around. Well, I'm not, I'm not here this morning to settle that debate between those two political camps. But I would like to springboard off that old adage to talk about holy living. If you would open your Bibles to Psalm 19, we'll be looking at that psalm. Now, um, this lipstick on a pig thing is supposed to be a clever way of saying, uh, even when you dress up a bad idea with fancy talk, it, it, it's still a pig. It's, it's, it's still a bad idea. It's like putting lipstick on a pig. You really haven't done anything to change the underlying problem. And today I, I want to propose to you that uh, this is what the modern church has done with the doctrine of holiness. We've tried to dress up our boorish nature with religious lipstick. In verses uh, 7 through 10 of that 19th Psalm, the psalmist David lists a number of ways that uh, God's Word is perfect. And, and he talks about how that Word affects us when we ingest it into our um, inner beings, when we meditate on it and incorporate it into our daily lives. David says when we do this, it becomes the most valuable thing we possess. David says it's better than fine gold. And yes, Rich and Carol, it's better than a big diamond. I wonder how many of us truly consider God's word in that way. His commandments. Do we really consider them to be precious? Do you? If, if you did an analysis of your use of the word of God, would, would that bear out your contention that God's word is precious to you? Or would it say something else? 
One of the greatest values of the Word of God is that it makes us wise so that we can detect sin. It teaches us what is right and good and what is wrong and evil. Verse 11 says, speaking of God's Word, Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. God's Word. His commandments and instructions provide us with a warning so that we know how to live. And he promises us a great reward if indeed we would live according to his word. So really it kind of sounds like we've got it made. All we have to do is keep God's commands. And we got this great reward waiting for us. But there's a problem. There's always a problem, isn't there? There's a problem, and it's um, revealed in verse 12. Because even with the aid of the word of God, the psalmist says, who can discern his errors? You know, we, we really are limited creatures. We don't know sometimes what we don't know. We humans find it hard enough to do the things we know are right. But we also have blind spots, don't we? We don't really know ourselves as well as we think. The prophet Jeremiah observed in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Truth is, we don't even understand our own hearts. We don't even understand our own motives completely, why we do what we do. Sometimes we think we do, but um, sometimes we're wrong. We don't completely understand. In addition, sometimes we commit sins in, um, in ignorance or out of weakness, without really any malicious intent. It may be the sin of ingratitude. You, you just take something for granted. We do that all the time about God's good gifts to us. It may be an attitude of pride that we haven't detected. I bet other people notice it, but we haven't detected it. Or we may act out of a sense of self-righteousness, uh, religious piety that we're, you know, we're motivated by these high holy reasons. We may even think we're doing good when in fact we're doing harm. You ever done that? Tried to help someone and make it worse? What are we to do about that predicament, about the fact of these hidden sins? How can we ever hope to be holy people? Well, here's what the psalmist David recommends in the second half of verse 12, when he prays, acquit me of hidden faults. The, use, the, the word used here, acquit, is, is a legal term. Your translation may say forgive or cleanse, but it means to declare us not guilty, cleared of the charges, to set us free from condemnation. 
David's request here in this psalm is to ask God to forgive and cleanse the petitioner of hidden or unknown sin, sins of ignorance. And you know, that is absolutely essential to holy living. This is how imperfect though we are, we can be declared righteous through the blood of Christ and and by the washing and the regeneration of His Holy Spirit. And as we uh, go through life, God reveals um, these hidden sins to us so that we can see them for what they are. We can repent of them. We can put them aside. Sometimes God reveals them through the reproof and correction of others, not always just Christians either. (laughs) He may reveal it through someone who um, has no time for the Lord, but God uses that person as his instrument. So be careful not to reject those who are critical of you, sometimes even mean-spirited in their criticism, as David did when he was criticized fleeing Jerusalem. Listen to what's being said and ask the Lord if there's a message in there for you. You see, God wants to do more in our lives than than put lipstick on a pig, so to speak. He wants to change us in our innermost being. He doesn't want to just give us a, a makeover. Then there's a second kind of sin mentioned in this psalm, one that perhaps we're a little more familiar with. Look at verse 13. Also, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Presumptuous sins are the ones we commit knowingly and willfully. We sin knowing we're sinning. And uh, we do so presuming upon God's grace. We assume that Well, God will just forgive us because, um, you know, we're pretty special to God. And uh, because he loves us so much and he's such a gracious God. In in Romans chapter 6, Paul uh, deals with this dilemma, this type of thinking, this presumptuous sin. In verses 1 and 2, he writes, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? And his answer, may it never be. How shall we who have died to sin still live in it? Willful sin, presumptuous sin, is a deadly trap. It's a trap that we can easily fall into. And um, once we're caught in that trap, it slowly pulls us in deeper and deeper. Because sin is never satisfied with just a small place in our life. It'll start there. But it's never satisfied. It wants to dominate and it wants to control and it wants to destroy. This is why David says, let them not rule over me. David knew something about willful, presumptuous sin because on a number of occasions he failed. Can we say Bathsheba? But there is hope. Because he finishes verse 13 by writing, Then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. David, from personal experience, knew that his hidden sin and his willful sin both needed to be taken care of. And he knew that his only hope 
was that God would acquit him and forgive him and cleanse him. You know, he knew it wasn't enough to just do a a surface job of cleaning sin out of his life. And it won't work for us either. We need a deep and thorough heart cleaning. We need to be washed in the blood of Christ and be cleansed by the Holy Spirit. The most dangerous threat that we face as followers of Christ doesn't come from the immoral culture that we live in. It isn't the economic downturn in Michigan. It isn't the loss of our young adults in the congregation here. It isn't angry atheists who are trying to take away our rights. No, the greatest threat to the Flint Citadel is an incomplete heart transaction in the lives of us. A half-completed cleansing of our hearts. The greatest threat to, um, to the body of Christ, to the church of uh, Jesus Christ as a whole, are believers who fail to deal thoroughly with sin. We will never be destroyed from without. Um, our destruction, our downfall will always come from within. Believers who are forgiven for their sins but go on sinning. Christians who once saved fail to move on to holiness, like the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness, not entering the land of promise. Too many Christians have sold out to other gods, the gods of our our modern culture. We often bow down at the same altars that unbelievers do. We often say, uh, serve the same idols. We watch the same debased TV and movies saying it won't hurt us. The main difference is that um, we come to church an hour or two every week. Is it any wonder that the modern holiness we experience has become like lipstick on a pig? We think we can take the same old sinful nature, add a few religious practices and slap on a uniform and and we can call it holiness. Many believers today are guilty of harboring known and unknown sin. And without the blood of Christ and the Holy Spirit's intervention and um, and the Father's grace, we just can't be holy and acceptable to Him. We have a responsibility to get at the root of the sin problem. We have to give up the pretense of being good people and deal with our presumptuous, willful sin. And then, when we've dealt with that, ask God to cleanse us and reveal those hidden sins, those attitudes and actions that that perhaps we're not aware of. Too often, I think, us modern believers kind of play games with God and, and with ourselves concerning this matter of sin and righteousness. But I want you to know, in such a game, there is no winner. The invitation this morning is really simple. To be honest with yourself about sin and then to determine that you want it to have no place 
in your life. The invitation this morning is to seek God through His Word and in prayer, to ask Him to purify you from hidden sins and pardon you from willful sins. So this morning, if there is unconfessed, unrepented sin in your life, then this morning, confess it. Repent of it. Ask God to forgive you. It, it's, it's that simple. It's not complicated. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 assures us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then, once you've dealt with known sin, ask him to cleanse and pardon those, those hidden sins, those things that crop up as we live life, as we um, come to understand ourselves better. Ask God to reveal hidden sin patterns that have been established in your life so you can be cleansed from them, so you can cease from them. Holiness isn't about sinless perfection. Rather, it's about a perfect heart, a perfect love that seeks to be like Christ. It means discerning the will of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you and then obeying and acting out of a heart of love. And here's a good prayer to start with. Psalm 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for um, your word, even in the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms. You give us such an insight into what it is to be a, a holy man, a holy woman. Lord, it's not about uh, putting on airs. It's not about um, looking the part. It's all about being the person you've called us to be, authentic, obedient, willing to um, do whatever you ask. God, I pray this morning that as we would examine our own lives for presumptuous sins, willful sins. And Lord, even as we open ourselves up to um, the possibility that perhaps there's uh, something that we're not even aware of, an attitude, an action, a, a way we conduct ourselves that is offensive to you, harmful to others. Lord, might you uh, send us messengers to um, point these things out. And Lord, might we have the humility to listen and to respond. I know, Lord, you're more interested that we would become holy men and women than you are about what we accomplish in this world. And God, I pray that um, we would understand that by becoming holy men and women, uh, we fit ourselves for um, service to be used of you. If there's anyone here this morning, Lord, that needs to have a transaction with you, deal with sin, God, I pray that in this time of response that Lord, they might begin that process, perhaps complete it. If not, Lord, that you would continue to speak to them until you have them where you would want them to be, in the very center of your will. We love you this morning. We praise you for all the, the good things you uh, bring into our lives, uh, Lord, and for the difficult things. We thank you, Lord, that you are there to go through them with us. Bless us, use us. 
um, God, and uh, purify us for your purposes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing um, song 423. And this is a song of invitation and response. It's a transac- transaction between you and God. You can make it right there in your pew. Um, if you'd like to come and pray or come to the holiness table to, to really beseech the Lord, you're always welcome. And, and brothers and sisters in Christ would love to support you in prayer. But you do what the Holy Spirit says, and that'll be, that'll be just right. Let's sing that first verse. Stand with me. We're going to sing the fourth and fifth verses. Let them challenge you, but don't don't stop there. Make a decision. Make a commitment. Verse 4 and 5.
thank you, God, for your law, our guide, as it makes us wise, brings joy to our hearts, light to our eyes, warns and rewards us. As we look to you each day, may your love be our guide as we speak and think and live. Amen. Will you join me in the benediction? May the words of my mouth. This has been the weekly podcast of the Flint Citadel's Morning Worship Experience. We hope you were blessed. Join us again for next week's service. Better yet, join us in person anytime at the Citadel, located in the heart of downtown Flint, at 211 West Kersley Street, where you're always among friends. For more information about the Salvation Army in Flint and our worship times and weekly activities, visit us online at www.flintcitadel.org or call us at area code 810-232-2199. Thanks for listening.